Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Transfiguration has many elements of the story of a superhero. There's a hike of a mountain, some friends on a mission together, the appearance of otherworldly figures in light, the transformation of a hero, a powerful voice from another dimension, and then descent into battle to those powers below the mountain. Is Jesus a superhero? Well known, yes. One of the commentators put it this way. The story of the transfiguration is the promise of the kind of life beyond what is apparent to earthly eyes most of the time. And another put it this way. The transfigured Jesus isn't supposed to be figured out. He's supposed to be appreciated. We should be drawn to him as if we were mocks. Jesus leads Peter, James, and John up a mountain. Mark doesn't say which mountain. The transfiguration might be foreshadowing about the resurrection and the second coming when Jesus comes shining in glory. There's something magical about mountaintops. The air is thin. This is a mountain of God. We might call this a thin place where God reaches down at the boundary between heaven and earth. The four are alone. The disciples are about to receive a revelation that will allow them to see the great picture of God's ultimate purpose. In Mark, the story of the transfiguration is told from the disciples' perspective. Being on a high mountain provides anticipation that something extraordinary is about to happen. And the Jewish people thought high mountains were sacred. Jesus is transfigured. The verb is passive. God has done the work to transform Jesus. We could understand this in two ways. Either Jesus' true nature is displayed or the glory of his resurrection is temporarily shown. Mark only describes the change in appearance of Jesus' clothes. Matthew and Luke talk about the change in his physical appearance. His clothes become a white color, so white, such as no launderer could clean them. Other descriptions of God are found like this in Daniel 7, 9. As I watched, the thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. And Psalm 104, 2 says, wrapped in light with a garment, as with a garment, you stretch out the heavens like a tent. Then before them appears Moses and Elijah. Now, do you ever know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah? (laughs) They have no paintings, no photos of these guys. How did they know? The text doesn't say, and... We just don't know. What makes Elijah and Moses so great? Well, they had intimacy with God. Moses got to glimpse 
the backside of God. And Elijah had an encounter with God in a strange sheer silence. Some Jews believe both avoided death as Elijah went to heaven in a chariot of fire. And first century Jewish author Josephus said that Moses went to heaven without dying. Many argue that Moses and Elijah together represent the law and the prophets. Both prophets, like Jesus, worked to help the people of God remain faithful as they were tempted by idols. All of the prophets tried to keep the people of God hopeful when they were at the hands of abusive political powers. Moses and Elijah's intimacy with God was not something they kept to themselves. It gave them power in their service to others, providing them with what they needed to know and grow in the Lord. Mark emphasizes Elijah often. John the Baptist fulfills the role of Elijah based on Malachi. John does not get does John does get executed in Mark, but his work is finished before he dies. He is killed in Mark 6, and this is Mark 9. Kent Brower, one of the commentators, says if John fulfills the role of Elijah, the narrative sequence demands that he be removed from the scene before Elijah appears here. Elijah's importance is emphasized with the discussion between Jesus and the disciples as they hike down the mountain. Later in the chapter, we read, As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said to them, Elijah is indeed coming to restore all things. How then it is written about the Son of Man that he is to go through many sufferings and be treated with contempt. But I tell you, that Elijah has come, and they did to him with whatever they please, as it is written about him. So at the transfiguration, Jesus stands with saintly company. He shares the moment with two others that share close intimacy with God. The light of transfiguration shines ahead into Lent to keep that season in perspective, never without hope and confidence. And the light of transfiguration tells us that God is knowable and that God is here. Where else in the Bible have we heard of this dazzling glow or glory? Well, Moses, after he saw the glory of God, had to wear the veil over his face. So the glory on his face didn't scare the people. And Daniel, the son of man, is dazzling white. Daniel 10.5 said, I looked up and I saw a man clothed in linen, his face like lightning. Mark says that Elijah and Moses talked to Jesus, but it gives no hint of what they said. And Luke 9.31 says, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Well, Peter wants to build three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Mark is critical of the suggestion. <laughs> this is the wrong thing to say. <laughs> Much like Peter has been saying wrong things since his confession in 829. Why does Peter say this? 
Perhaps he wants to save the moment. Don't you want to save big spiritual moments when you experience God? I do. I don't want to go back down the mountain to real life. I want to stay in God's presence in the thin place at the top of the mountain. Well, then things get even more magical. A cloud appears and covers them. This reminds us of Moses in the cloud after six days on Sinai. God's presence comes in a cloud often. In Exodus 24:16, it says, The Lord called to Moses from a cloud. In Exodus 19:9, he speaks to Moses from a cloud as well. And we expect the voice in the cloud to speak to Jesus. But the voice speaks to the disciples. The voice says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. What does this voice confirm? That when Jesus says he must suffer, he is telling the truth. And that the confession of Jesus as Messiah is correct. When Peter called him Rabbi back in verse 9-5, it was not correct. For in just a chapter earlier, he had confessed him as the Christ. The voice also confirms they can't stay on the mountain. They have to go back down and do the work. And they must go to Jerusalem because Jesus has to die. The scene reminds them that Jesus is superior to Moses and Elijah. The transfiguration is linked to the cross. And Jesus will be the one hanging on the Roman cross. Suddenly, it all vanishes. The voice and the cloud disappear. Moses and Elijah disappear. And Peter, James, and John blink their eyes. All they see is Jesus. They look at each other. Did they really just see this? They rub their eyes. They keep looking around. And there is nothing there but Jesus. Commentator Kent Brower also says this. The gospel looks forward to God's good purposes for the future being accomplished. The glorification of Jesus offers a glimpse of the glory he has with the Father. The cross is not the end. Vindication will come as well. The Son of Man must be killed and after three days rise again. The death is the means to the end of the coming of God's kingdom with the power. Let's go back to talking about that mountaintop. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience with God? My highest mountaintop experience with God actually happened in Colorado. But I wasn't on a mountain. I was in my apartment praying when God called me to preach. It was almost an audible voice and I was only 10. Whenever I've been tempted to doubt my call, I go back to that night. No one can take that away from me. It was very real and it was my mountaintop. A few nights later, I dreamed I was on the hill behind my apartment and I saw Jesus on the cross there. God asked me, would you do this for me? And I knew he was asking me if I would suffer persecution. I said yes. And that school year, sixth grade, was the worst school year of my life. I got into fights and I was bullied. My, my PE teacher made fun of me for being a Christian. But I hung on to my mountaintop experiences and to Matthew 5.11 that said, 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.